The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Ryan Robillet has over two decades of legal and compliance experience in the oil and gas sector, including being a vice president and chief compliance officer serve for two different public companies with global operations. He has a history of providing practical solutions to the business and managing overall corporate and regulatory compliance programs. His compliance experience includes a focus on anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance, sanctions, trade control, U.S. anti-boycott, reporting to senior management and the boards of directors. In this four-part series, we look at, in episode one, Ryan's career path. Was it a roadmap or was he simply along for the ride? Episode two, the problem of transparency in the black box for compliance. Episode three, the skill sets needed for the CCO chair. And episode four, the culture of a company and the role of a CCO in fostering that culture. It's a fascinating exploration of a person who's been in compliance literally uh, since the start of this century. And I know you will find it fascinating, interesting, and very enjoyable. Thanks for joining me. And I hope you'll stay with us for the entire four-part podcast series. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to this month's uh, episodes on The Compliance Life. This month, I am joined by Ryan Robillet, a well-known compliance professional here in the uh, Houston area. So, Ryan, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time uh, to visit with me for this series. Thank you. Glad to be here, Tom. Ryan, you have been in compliance literally from the time you were in law school. You're one of the few people I know who really started in compliance um, that early in his career uh, back in January of 2003. So I was wondering kind of what intrigued you about going into compliance uh, that early in your career and kind of what set you on the path that you've been on since then? Sure, sure. Um, well, what intrigued me about it, uh, you know, and put yourself back in my uh, position there, I, I was, uh, I spent four years in the military before I started my college career. So I was a little, little older than my fellow law students, but, but only about four years. So now I was in my mid twenties. And what intrigued me was the possibility of travel, to be frank about it. Um, and, uh, that I had always had a personal interest in travel and done done a decent amount of it before then. And so that was one thing. And then also my family, most uh, people in my family have worked in the oil field on and off. I grew up in Houston for the most part, lived a little bit overseas uh, because my dad was in the oil field as well. But so what intrigued me was the potential travel. And then at that time, the oil field was uh, well in the sights of the DOJ, et cetera, for uh, FCPA things are starting to be for sure. And I remember the uh, career counselor at law school 
said, hey, why don't you go talk to Baker Hughes? They're looking for a Spanish-speaking law student, really. And I, I was not a native speaker of Spanish, but I would always had an interest in studying it. So that led to me being at, uh, you know, going out to Baker Hughes's office and interviewing for it in Spanish, by the way, which they didn't tell me about beforehand, which thank God they didn't. I probably would have been too scared. Um, and uh, anyway, they, they gave me that role and they, they said, hey, it's a CPA due diligence specialist. You know, you know about the FCPA, right? And I had no idea what they were talking about, um, but, I, but I quickly learned. And um, so that, uh, you know, in that sense, I looked into it, um, but it definitely interested me from the start. I could obviously see it was very important to the company, even though I was at the, the lowest rung, without a doubt. Um, I, I could see that this had the company's attention at, at the highest rungs of the company. Um, and, and it definitely had that international flavor to it. Um, at the time, I was working for uh, a lawyer who was in charge of many things, but one of them being uh, all the Baker operations in Latin America. And that, that's why they had wanted the Spanish. So a lot of exposure to Latin America, not exclusively, but a lot of it. And I enjoyed that part of it. And then I you know, very quickly learned um, about a compliance program. And let me add that uh, de definitely focused on agents at that time. Baker was in the process of literally, you know, gathering up Excel sheets from the business units in, in these far flung countries to say, hey, who are your agents? Um, who are they? And there were literally hundreds and hundreds of them. And that got whittled down finally through termination of agents, et cetera. And, and a, just a massive due diligence exercise was what was happening. So it was for me, it was experience learning, um, you know, how to conduct FCPA type due diligence on uh, agents uh, with a particular focus on commission based agents, I would say, um, even more than uh, customs agents, et cetera. But, you know, what's a sales agent versus distributor, those types of things. So that was that was how I got started. And I'll, I'll say that's about six months before Jay Martin joined Baker Hughes. And so the company went from a handful of people in compliance. And then when Jay came on board, you know, over time, that got built out to, uh, I don't know, a couple of dozen people. And so the, you know, I was there for about six years. And so the company grew and really built out the program. And, and I certainly learned more than just, uh, you know, agent due diligence, but but it was there from uh, seeing the compliance department get built out was very, I guess, beneficial for me. Uh, so, Ryan, uh, many of our listeners may not know the story, and I will certainly tell it because uh, it's one of my favorite stories that you went to a company that uh, became in the throes of a massive, and I mean massive, FCPA investigation uh, leading to, at one point, uh, Baker Hughes had the largest fine in the history of the world ever at $44 million. Yeah. That is burned into my head because up until that time, the company I was working for had the largest fine. So we became number two and we were thrilled that Baker was number one. But you literally went into it and learned compliance, not just from the ground up, but I would think under as high a pressure uh, atmosphere uh, after the 
deferred prosecution agreement was signed, you had a very robust monitorship. You had full commitment from your senior executives that time to put compliance, not number one, because safety was number one, but certainly 1A. And it, it seemed to me, it seems to me that that learning experience was uh, really a very intense one, yet in many ways prepared you for many of the issues and you faced uh, since that time. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in hindsight, obviously, it was very fortunate for me in, in a sense, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't see that at the time. I just thought all these companies got in trouble like this. <laughs> and to some extent, um, it, it's not an uncommon problem. But yes, the significance of it didn't, you know, I didn't really see that at the time, but it was a great experience. Um, and yeah, I was there about four and a half years before the company settled with the DOJ and the SEC with that $44 million fine in, a, in I think mid 07. And then we had the monitor after that. And for, you know, compliance folks will understand having a monitor is kind of on the extreme end of the spectrum. And so I worked with that where later in my career we'll get to, um, you know, I, work, I worked with companies, well, almost all of them have been in trouble, but that's the only one I worked uh, with that had monitor. And so I draw from that experience, um, certainly. And, and yes, it was a, the other thing is just the expansiveness of the investigation, the compliance program, the company, the company, by the time I left, we were operating in about 120 countries. And so just the, the scale of it was, was huge and probably uh, the largest I was ever part of after that, the companies were smaller uh, some of them, not certainly not in dollars, but in, in frankly, in FCPA exposure, they were more focused, certainly country-wise, and that always brings it down. So the scale of the Baker Hughes experience was, um, again, just massive. And and I will say about two years of that I spent in Venezuela, which, uh, would, you know, which is helpful on the resume, helpful for you know, just personal experience, um, building things up. And then as we talk through this, to anybody listening on the front end of their career. I mean, I, I do think it's important to be in the, the corporate office or, or very close to it during times like that. You, that's one perspective to learn from, but then getting out in the regions, um, you know, is another, and, and they're both beneficial. I mean, ideally you'd have both on your resume, so to speak, but uh, Baker certainly afforded me that opportunity as well. Ron, you've also worked at a couple of other companies that have had significant uh, compliance issues, but I wanted to maybe ask, what was your experience in working through uh, some of those? So specifically around uh, donations and gifts, and then later at another company where you had customs agents uh, uh, bringing up some FCPA issues. What was that like for you? Yeah, so after Baker, I went to BHP, and they literally had no compliance departments, which was shocking to me in 2008 you know coming from baker hughes in hindsight I, I i do understand where they were where they were uh, i always say is you know where where are these companies at in the cycle uh, of the fcpa cycle of getting in trouble and well bhp was just way on the front end of it and it's not a u.s company either um so the, you know they're just coming out of <laughs> from a different angle and what got them in trouble um, because quickly within the first year I was there, the SEC started investigating them for, uh, well, projects in Asia, but it stemmed around some maybe improper donations made to 
what they thought was a charity. And so the, the focus started heavy, heavy on the charitable donation process, which BHP did to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And um, that was something I hadn't had that much experience with, as opposed to say agents or, or other aspects. And so um, that program got built from the ground up and in a very different way. And so that was a great experience. But yes, the donations and gifts, I mean, that was that was just full on from the ground up of what is the FCPA? Why does the company have to comply with it, et cetera? I mean, it was it was eye opening in a way. But yes, that was, uh, you know, many good experiences building out the charitable stuff. One just stopped doing all the, the smaller donations and maybe focus your money more bang for your buck and it'll, it'll reduce the legal exposure. But the way the company's deals are structured a lot of times, I mean, Remember, I went to Pakistan to deal with the local uh, tribes that lived around our gas plant there because you have to deal with them as part of the way the deals are structured. So you're going to essentially give them something, but you need to do that in an above board way to help the community, et cetera. Or in Colombia, we went and negotiated with the Colombian military to give them things in an above board way so they could um, provide us military protection. Um, and, and things like that, that the larger companies with significant footprints in the countries they're going to have to do. But it was a, it was a great learning experience again. Um, and, I, and I did two years in Perth uh, for the BHP stuff, which, which again, even within Australia, deal, dealing with indigenous folks there is a large part of the business. And that's very significant. Um, and then whether it's true charitable donations or just providing community outreach. It's its something the company's given away if you look at it in a dollar sense. So it obviously has to be done in the right way not to benefit an individual um, government official or, or other individual really. Um, so that was good. And then, and then beyond the BHP experience was, yeah, Noble Drilling I went to, which had just settled in relation to the panel peanut case uh, for having their customs agent in Nigeria pay bribes they had just uh, they were one year into a three-year deferred prosecution agreement for fcpa violations and so it was heavy focus on uh customs agents anywhere getting the rigs into some country and getting them out which is the core of of uh, logistics for these rig companies that's the heart of the business and so um a lot of focus on that uh, somewhat on the commission-based agents, but, you know, charitable donations, for example, drilling companies, frankly, just don't do a lot of it, certainly not to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, again, just a different focus, which is good for me, uh, was good for me. It was also first time I ever went in front of the DOJ, was at Noble Drilling, um, a lot of uh, exposure to high up executives, I would say, too, as well. And so that that was a, a different experience. Um, and I will say that was the two-person, two-man compliance department at Noble Drilling. And, um, you know, that's that's a vast difference than, say, a Baker Hughes approach, but but we still got the job done. So, so again, a, a great experience in, on many different fronts. Ron, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we take up the topic of transparency in the Black Box perception. I look forward to continuing the conversation.
Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode with Ryan Robillet in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to The Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.